Welcome to Roof Flies, everybody. I'm Ryan. Hello, hello. I am Josh. And today we have another episode Wait. on... Wait. Greg's not here. Greg is not here <laughs> because he... Because he's a... Greg. We know this is going to be an exhausted gag at some point, but... <laughs> it's still it's, not... It's still funny, it's though. It's still true. I mean, <laughs> he has a shoot to do. Greg has more important things to do than us, apparently, even though... We, no, we totally have important things to do. Josh just keeps somebody alive now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a more obligation. I thought that you were going to be the first person to bring it up, but I wanted to clear the water on that one. That's fine. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations, Josh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He'll talk about it more later if you haven't already figured it out. (laughs) So anyway, so today we have an episode on body myths. Body! I think it's been a while since we've done done this one. As a matter of fact, we actually had to cut an entire segment from this because... After doing all the research uh, last night, I realized that we had done this in season (laughs) one. It's been a while. So we replaced it with something else. I'm not going to tell you what it was, though. So anyway, do we have anything to talk about to really preamble this? It's pretty straight and simple. You're going to learn things about yourself that you may not have known. Yeah. As far as me, uh, as I go with my research, I had a tough time. And that's because this isn't such a cut and dry, black and white kind of thing. And I'm also not in the medical field, so really, I'm gonna. This whole is it isn't cut and dry. No, no, imagine that. But I, I had a hard time getting specific answers for things, and I'll get more into that. But I understand. I'm. I'm th- the main reason I'm saying that is because I'm going to be getting a penalty shot from this. I understand that. Uh, from the past few episodes, just saying, I actually want to clear this up. We've been getting a lot of Twitter responses about stuff. Yes, we get penalty shots for a couple different things. Josh, you got a sports one. I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm sure I did. But I got a few from the Nuclear Myths episode, and it is essentially... You uh, got where Chernobyl was wrong. It's in the Ukraine. And guess who didn't correct me? Greg. Or you. Nobody else. It wasn't my fucking topic. (laughs) It wasn't my goddamn topic, and I just told you about how the entire fucking disaster happened, but yet I just couldn't point it to you on a map? Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take it, whatever. The one I will take uh, some problems. I said that, you know, an alpha particle was just a single proton and it's actually two. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I might be screwing that up again. <laughs> I'll take a penalty shot for that. I get it, whatever. But I, I'm partially holding, I think we should all get a penalty shot for Chernobyl yeah, since, you know, that's, nobody corrected me. Honestly, Greg, who, didn't he have like some Russian history background in that's college? That's minor. Yeah, okay, that's more on him. I'm just going to say that. But yeah, I, I, I'll i I'll give you that. We we all deserve one for that because I should have caught as soon as I saw that tweet. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, we yeah, we, we botched that one. We screwed but the pooch. You messed up a basketball one. Somebody on Twitter remind us that Josh has one for that. I'll have to go back and find it because I'm curious. I'd love to find out what I got wrong. And I don't, I don't mean that in like a sarcastic douchebag way. It was about the Michael Jordan push. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just we'll, we'll look huh. at. It. Okay, we'll, we'll get check to that. The ta- we'll, we'll, get we'll review to that. the tapes. So, <laughs> check the replay. So shall we jump in? Yes, Ryan. Start us off this this episode. I almost did it. <laughs> Fuck, you're getting better. So the first one is we're gonna say it out front: an Arrested Development uh, trope, and it's you should keep a concussion victim awake, or else they risk death. I just want to say real quick, I've also heard this about um, hypothermia. 
And speaking of things we haven't done in a while, I don't know if we covered that or not. I want to say we did in the survival myths. We did a survival winner. I don't know how much we got in the hypothermia. I don't You understand, people. Once it's once we're done it's the episode, gone, it's out it's, of our head. Yeah, once it's gone, it's done. I guarantee if you were to run into us at a bar and like tell us some crazy <laughs> myth that you heard on the show, but don't tell us you heard it on the show, we'd be like, oh, we should cover that. And yeah, oh, we, we totally would fuck that up. Absolutely. We, we, we don't retain memories. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Keeping a concussion victim awake, Ryan. Uh, you've heard this one. It's been shown in Arrested Development and probably a, co- a couple of other forms of media, I would uh, say. Especially prevalent with the NFL with all the concussion stuff going on. I've, I've, I've heard them say it on a broadcast, I'm pretty sure. Like NFL commentators saying that. Somebody gets a concussion. Oh, better keep him awake. <laughs> Some... <laughs> Don't give him the warm milk. <laughs> yeah. No milk of the pup. So a concussion is also known as a mild traumatic brain injury. When you put the word traumatic in there, I don't think there's any precursor as mild. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And on top of that, I was just thinking, and I guess it's a terrible thought to have, when I played sports a lot as a kid, because I am not playing sports now, I remember my first concussion, which I guess means that it's not that big of a deal if I remember it. but But I remember getting my first concussion. Really? Yes, and it wasn't until many years later. You say your first. How many have you had? I think I've had like three or four. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. From playing football? Oh or yeah. Just well, a- my first one was from playing baseball. How? I was playing first base, I think it was, or I would think maybe catcher. I don't remember what, a, or a pitcher, I'm sorry. Maybe this is the concussion at work. I was probably like eight <laughs> or nine years old. turns out you were on the bench when it happened. Well, I I remember why what, what happened and why I realized later on in life it was a concussion. So I was playing pitcher because we didn't actually pitch the ball back then because we were too young and whatever, whatever, whatever. And somebody hit the ball and they hit a piss rocket at me, an absolute screamer. And it hit me in the head and it knocked me out. And I remember like crying and being upset because I'm a little bitch and I was a kid. And I remember I finished the like the the they took me out. They finished the inning and we were going to bat. And I remember I stopped crying. My coach was like, hey, you're okay. You're okay. You know, we can, you go on and get back out there. You're going to be fine. And I said, okay, coach. And I grabbed my glove and I ran onto the field. And I was out there for a solid two minutes before I'm like, oh, we're hitting right now. We're not fielding. And I ran back inside and I was so embarrassed. But years later, I realized that's a symptom of a concussion. Oh, like that memory loss. Definitely a symptom right and, there. Because and yeah, so that's I remember my first concussion, which is a really weird thing to say. I remember parts of it at least. Yeah, the, the hazy bits. So uh, the word stems from the Latin uh, concutere. It's been a while since I've actually taken Latin, and uh, it's actually a very aptly named one because it roots from the term of uh, the shaking of the head uh, to shake violently. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And essentially the way concussion works is it isn't essentially the same sort of brain damage that you'd think with like, you know, a Phineas Gage situation where you get a steel rod through your head. Yeah. It's more of just the way that if there's a sudden jolt to your head or in like say a car wreck or for you, you know, getting whopped in the head by a ball or or in many cases, cases, football. Where we talked about something very relevant to this, where, you know, with the helmets, debatably the padding may help or may not help. We still haven't, you know, decided that that one. Uh, The deal is, is that 
once your head gets suddenly jolted, there's a chance of your brain actually shaking around in the extra fluid in your head between the skull and the brain. And if it hits the skull, it can kind of haywire things a tiny bit. This is a very layman's explanation of this phenomenon, but that's essentially what happens is it's kind of just like a force. It's just momentum. Your brain gets stopped suddenly and gets hit onto your skull. Well, we used to say like during football that if somebody got hit hard, be like his brain's still shaking in his head. I never realized that was the same thing as a concussion. Yeah. I just never really thought about what a concussion is. I just know that it's not good. Well, the symptoms generally are things like you said, memory loss from the occasion, uh, general dizziness. There's a whole plethora of them. Uh, Particularly, there's also, let's see. Vomiting, I know is one, right? There's vomiting, nausea, uh, shaking. There's a whole bunch of things that can, can... suggest a concussion for people the uh, the new one too that I, i've heard them talk about is like the glazing of the eyes the glazed look yeah headaches as well yeah oh yeah oh definitely headaches no, yeah. I, if it wasn't a headache from the initial injury it will last <laughs> after the concussion but uh hello this is ryan from the future this is a brief interruption considering that our recording cut out for a little bit but i think you may have missed just a minute of us talking about ctes and how they came up so Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That's what it is, and it is the big hot debate in the NFL right now. So, uh, on to the show. There's no real way to diagnose it until after the person's dead. So, people, if you want a million dollar solution, find a way to diagnose CTAs while a person is still alive. The NFL will pay you generously. No, or they'll either to take it or to shut you up. But before you get. Before you get a penalty shot, there actually has been research where they're able to, I believe in Japan. Okay, of I, this, is, this is off the top of my head. Greg's not here, but there has been recent capabilities of diagnosing or, uh, or I'm sorry, not diagnosing, but finding CTE inside victims who are still alive. Uh, diagnosing is appropriate. They're, they're still working on it and it's not foolproof, but they're making strides towards it. So... I don't want you to get a penalty shot on that because it, it is possible. Well, good, because that research facility is going to get burned down by somebody named... <laughs> Roger Goodell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he will take a flight to Japan and, and just do it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> It'd be crazy, just as a hypothetical, if the XFL decided they wanted to go more hardcore and just be like, fuck padding, we're going rugby style. And it turns out to be a safer method than the actual NFL rules for protection. I mean, there is an argument to that, but you know what? I'm not going to get into that, Ryan, because the last time I talked about rugby, I got shit on. Well, <laughs> so watch like two days anything. from now, it's going to be Vince, uh, Vince McMahon's going to be like, no padding. We're not yeah. doing padding this time. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to happen. Only cleats. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the reason that this actual myth, or we'll say stems, is because before CAT scanning, which is computerized axial tomography, which just means you essentially get a 3D view of the the brain. brain. Yeah, or wherever else you might be scanning. But the brain is generally what it's used for. Yeah, typically. Before it was widely used, it turns out that the patients needed to be observed for symptoms uh, for signs of like brain bleeding from concussion. And that's actually kind of rare. It's a very small percentage of people that actually get brain bleeding from from concussion. Wow, I cannot talk. Brain (laughs) bleeding from concussions. But it turns out that usually this is not the case. Still, it was a preventative measure. Well, my thing... As it should be in a hospital. Well, my thing is, if they have brain bleeding, that tells me that it's a very severe and excessive concussion with 
um, CTE or whatever it may be like it's, it's pretty bad. So they may not be awake like they may be in like a coma or they may be blacked out or passed out or something. Well, it's because of that. Exactly. Okay. It turns out that there's generally like a six hour window to see if like the effects of a concussion are lasting, if any uh, more measures need to be taken in order to treat this. The patient generally needed to be awake uh, to observe any sort of decreased awareness after six hours of incurring the injury. So that's kind of where that came from. Because, I mean, if you're asleep, you can't tell if somebody has decreased awareness. Right. Well, <laughs> because they that, clearly do. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the best kind of correct. But this eventually led to like the belief that if one was to actually stay awake for six hours of receiving concussion, they'd bypass all of the effects of it and just not go into a coma. Turns out this was very wrong and people could still go into a coma after six hours. <laughs> so I have a, a couple thoughts about this and they may be a little on the dicey side it's not bad but it's a general it's it's a very real genuine concern that i have with people that get concussions and one of them that i find is the nfl has somehow manufactured a concussion test protocol that lasts for about seven minutes and to me with a violent game like football, because I'm using that as an example because that's what I relate concussions to the most. And I think most people do as well because it's such a big part of, of American culture. Unless is, you're Canadian, then it's hockey. But then, then, then it is hockey. But concussions are still a real thing. Yes. They, they, they get the shit beat out of them there. But I don't understand how a seven-minute test can determine if you have a concussion or not. I feel like there needs, there needs to be more to that. Yeah, I think they may have came up with that protocol just to avoid some flack to say, hey, we're doing something, you know. Right. Now, here's my my big issue with concussions, okay? From what I understand with the, the concussion tests, specifically, again, to the NFL, there is a baseline that they have for these players, right? They compare the player after a suspected concussion to that baseline. And then they determine from there if they have a concussion or not. That's my best understanding how it works. I wonder what that test is. What's your name? Who are we playing? Here's the thing. If you get a player that's not very intelligent and they have a very low baseline, not saying a defensive lineman, but you know, the defensive linemen are very intelligent. <laughs> and I'm not saying that because I was a defensive lineman, but I think you're saying it because you were a defensive lineman. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> But if, but seriously, if a player has a very low baseline, okay, they're not the most intelligent. They they typically struggle. Like some of these NFL players are illiterate. You know, some of these NFL players, you know, football is their main is their main goal in life because they won't make it uh, in anything else because they are superior athletes. I'm not saying that's the case across the board. You but don't generally need to know derivatives and integrals in order to be a football player, right? It so, helps. Yeah, but, you know, it definitely helps. But my my point being is that if the, if the threshold is so low for them. And that concussion test proves to be similar as to what they normally get, but they have a concussion. How do they determine that? You're acting like they have a whole team of Forrest Gumps. I think it's just general baseline stuff that they should know from the get-go. Like with the memory loss, you could just say, what just happened? Yeah, and I get that, but if, if you have memory problems before that or you have issues recalling things, I mean, there's players that... You know, they can't read. They have trouble writing. They can't sign their own checks. Floyd Mayweather, perfect example. All right. I knew you were going to bring him up, but can you think of a football player where that's the situation in general? Of being illiterate? Yeah. Not off the top of my head, but I know there are some. All right. Well, while I'm finishing this topic, look up illiterate football players. Your okay. fact checker, Josh, for once. Okay. I'll do that. So it turns out that the treatment for concussions generally involves keeping heavy brain activity to a minimum. 
which, surprise, surprise, can be done by sleeping. So it turns out it's the exact opposite of this myth. If somebody can go into a coma, they're going into a coma. It's not like it's just going to have this trigger where you can only be awake to go into a coma or be asleep to go into a coma. It's going to happen. So it, resting is actually a very good thing to do. You don't want to get a concussion and immediately go take the ACT. Josh, you're laughing. What did you find out? <laughs> because Is it Drew Brees? No, no, God, no. Drew's a very intelligent man. Uh, and I'm saying that as a Saints fan, so he's wonderful. Uh, Dexter Manley was uh, <laughs> was a defensive end who was illiterate. <laughs> I told you! <laughs> I knew it. Uh, yeah, so there are football players that were illiterate. I mean, he was a first-team All-Pro. He was a Pro Bowler. He won two Super Bowls. Um, you know, he's, he's a pretty uh, decorated football player. So we got to watch that receiver over there. What's his name? Mm. Guy with ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, what does Jersey say? Mm. Numbers. You no, know, it was just my, my mask is getting in the way. I see shapes, not letters or anything like that. I forgot who it was, but apparently there was a sportsman that I cannot remember the name of. A sportsman? Uh, it might have been Shoeless Joe Jackson. I really don't want to be uh, like sullying his name. But I remember hearing about, I think it was a baseball player that would go to restaurants with other players and he was illiterate. So what he would do is he would just uh, hear wait what till they, they would order. Say, yeah. And he would order what they, I think it is Shoeless Joe Jackson. So his menu became what other people ordered and yeah. he would just copy off of them. But yeah, you, you know what? The spaghetti and mayo does sound good. I'll go ahead and do that. But you know what? That also kind of goes against my point that just because they're illiterate, you know, they have some uh, wherewithal to do something like that. So that's fair. And oh, I know what it's like to be illiterate at a restaurant. Oh, going uh, to a foreign country? Tokyo story. But <laughs> we were just, one of the last days that we were there most recently, we went to a place that had a lot of yakitori, which if anybody doesn't know, is essentially just like lots of meats on a stick. And the guys, I could read like a little bit, but mm. they had a lot of kanji in there, which is not the thing that I can read. They have three different writing systems. It's very difficult. But essentially, they had a lot of that, and then there were people in there just looking at us because we were the only foreigners in the in the place. Yeah, and they were just like, "Oh yeah, well, a lot of uh, you know people get this deal," and we didn't know what we were in for. We we're just like, "Yeah, it's, that's actually pretty cheap." And then they just keep bringing out more <laughs> and more things. I think I had every piece of chicken possible. <laughs> like, I think I ate chicken like throat cartilage, and it was still delicious. The way they cooked it was great, but it was one of those situations where it was just like. I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> please don't, please don't betray that trust. I just, I can envision you just sitting there and they bring it out and you're like, hmm, peanut butter gumball, my favorite. All and, right. And I was the best reader there. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so anyway, essentially, no, you don't have to keep a concussion victim awake, especially with CAT scan technology now. Yeah. But, uh, it's okay for them to fall asleep. And if anything, it might be more beneficial to them to fall asleep. So Josh, what's the next topic? Well, the last thing I do want to say before getting into my topic, this episode is I find it interesting when it comes to, to yours, they actually, the inverse is true. So it, it kind of flipped on its head as the thing that is the good thing. You know, you think that letting, not letting them fall asleep helps them, but Actually, letting them fall asleep is a good thing. So and that's just, why some of these body myths can be dangerous, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I think that sheds a new light on all this is that, you know, something specific, specifically with concussions, you think you're trying to help someone, but you're just hurting them worse. Yeah. And that's not something you want to play around with. No. Okay. The first topic I'm covering in this body myths episode is the body cannot make new brain cells, which is a nice piggyback off of your first topic, Ryan. 
This goes back to... Yeah, the you want to shake them up like a martini. They just like fuse and become other brain cells and everything. And that science totally works. I'm, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am uh, Dr. Ryan, MD of Rumor Flies. <laughs> um, I know I don't have the PhD like Chris Cogswell, but you can trust me. You can trust me. You think just because he has a PhD, he knows more than you? I wouldn't go that far. Okay, well, I'm not trying to get in a fight with mad scientists right now. He said that, no, I didn't say that. I, w- I would only say that because we all blatantly know it's not true. Chris is brilliant. He's a good dude. Um, so, shout out uh, Mad Scientist Podcast. Go like and subscribe and give them an iTunes review. And give us one while you're at it. Yeah. Anyway. You're already there. <laughs> so, this goes back to the old adage of losing brain cells through various activities. Uh, mostly hitting your head is from what I remember. That's how I heard it. You know, don't do that. You'll be losing brain cells that you'll never get back, such as, you know, concussions or jumping off of things and uh, hitting your head. Like I remember as a kid jumping off of like different play sets and falling down and hitting my noggin and it hurt. The one that I've kind of piggybacked off is like drinking or smoking drugs kills brain cells. You're never going to get them back. Yeah, those marijuanas. Yeah. Yeah. That's I didn't even think about that. But uh, yeah. Because I was just into the uh, the sports aspect of this. But yeah, totally. I, d- I didn't even think about drugs and alcohol being a factor into that. And that's totally fair. Brain plasticity is an amazing thing. And I I know we're going to be doing another Brain Myths episode eventually. But oh, this, absolutely. This is in connection to it, but I think it's appropriate for right here. But uh, number one, the brain's amazing. The way it can work. Like how much we take for granted with all the functions that it is able to compute in no time and also you never notice it because most of them are autonomic functions so like breathing yeah <laughs> shit i just remember that i was breathing <laughs> god damn it when you think about it though we when we get past a certain age and whatever age that may be our bodies do start to slow down and like for me <laughs> i feel like it was like when i was 12 <laughs> my body just never recovered you know your limbs hurt more our bodies take longer to recover from from different things Eating and drinking like our bodies are a circus, you know, things like that, because I'm not quite at that point where when I get a hangover, I feel like death, but I know it's coming uh, because I have friends that are a little bit older and they're like, I I can't do that anymore. (laughs) I can't do red wine or very sugary drinks like hurricanes or anything like that. Really? Yeah. And we've been going to Pat, uh, Pato's Piano Bar recently. Oh, it's on, fun. Like, weekdays, and it's awesome. But it's just like, maybe I'll do one hurricane. And then I end up regretting it every time. But it, yeah, with you getting older, like I have a whole laundry list of food that I cannot eat lest I be curled up in fetal position <laughs> on like, in the bathroom for uh, many hours just from like cramps and stuff like that. But that's just <sighs> due to my bad stomach, was but it wasn't say, bad beforehand. That's the, that's the diabetes in full effect. <laughs> um, but back to this, you do in fact lose neurons as your body progresses and you get older over time, but that does not mean your body does not create new ones. So the unsexy answer here is that we don't know for sure, but we are doing a hell of a lot of research to figure it out. So we're not exactly sure a hundred percent, that we create new brain cells. Wait, really? Yes. I'm going to get into it, but I, I have an answer of my own that I believe uh, holds some weight. But again, that is probably wrong because it's me because we know how this goes. But I think that there is a, a way that this leans, but there is research on both sides that shows that they may be on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating. See, this almost shoots down the notion that I almost wanted to cover in there was just like every seven years, your body is like technically completely different because of cell regeneration. Like you have. 
Oh, that's all, a good uh, all one. All the cells are dead, and they've been replaced by new ones and stuff like that. But that, those two myths kind of come in contention right here well, if this goes the way that I think it is. I'll throw one in there for it. Uh, taste buds every seven years. Are we covered? Yes. So that that's also falls into that category as well. Mm. So we should just apply it to the whole body. Yeah, yeah I, we did it. We did do it for taste buds. So yeah, maybe next time we'll we'll go a little bit more general. Now I am going to go full disclosure here and say that I have a lot of resources on this, like I mentioned, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out and get a a, a very reasonable answer. And it doesn't even have to be exact, but I was trying to get something that I could bring to the table. Josh, why are you in the bathroom so long? Josh. <laughs> I'm looking at brain cells, Lindsay. I'm reading about brain cells. I'm putting a lot of work into this. Look, just because where I do my research doesn't matter. As long as I'm doing the research, all right? I get comfy. I take my shirt off and make a whole deal out of it. Josh, why are we running out of conditioner so fast? <laughs> I got a lot of hair to condition, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It's funny because it's true. Now, it, it all depends on who you are. And what you believe according to the research. So if you find something that you feel is basically holds water and disproves or further proves what I'm about to say, please send it to us. You know how to contact us. But I really did look at a lot of NCBI articles. I looked uh, at different government websites, different researches, and I still can't really make heads or tails of it. But uh, I'll get into my theory in a little bit. I do want to say, though. That I did find an origin here, which I'm really excited about. Oh, nice. Yes. In 1928, the father of modern neuroscience, his name was Santiago Ramon E. Cajal. I believe I'm saying that correctly. I'm probably, but you know, it's, I don't know, probably not, but it looks good. He proclaimed that the brains of adult humans never make new neurons. Quote, once development was ended, the founts of growth and regeneration dried up irrevocably. Am I saying that word correctly? Irrevocably. Irrevocably. I like my version better. (laughs) In the adult centers, the nerve paths are something fixed, ended, and immutable. Is that right? Immutable? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) These are big, scary words. Everything must die, and nothing may be regenerated. So this was 1928. We're almost, we're 90 years removed. This guy's an optimist. Yeah. This is almost 100 years ago. So this this has been around for quite some time. (laughs) I can't say anything. I so when I before like behind the curtains here I make my notes I read through them a couple times and I say it perfectly when I get here and I'm like oh I'm gonna shit the bed when I say this I'm gonna so fuck this up Uh, (laughs) I like how every time you have not made the effort to at least type it in Google and hit that little speaker button that says it in whatever accent you like it to wait what yeah you can go on a bunch of speech I think it's on dictionary.com you can have say it in in like American accent and British male female you probably even get like a Jamaican accent if you wanted to I, I have found myself saying garage. Really? Instead Why? Of, I don't know. Why? Because it's fun. Um, <laughs> another factor playing into this uh, origin would be that studies of this exact research being done on mice and their neuron production drastically decreasing with age and it's decreasing very rapidly. So they would do all these studies on mice. They would see how their... Uh, for the record, neuron is a brain cell. Yes. Oh, I'm, I should have pointed that out. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, but they did th- this research on these mice and they found that their neuron production would just basically plummet towards the end of their lives. And they just basically went and said, OK, well, this is uh, th- we do studies on mice for humans, so it's got to be the same. But that's not necessarily the case. <sighs> the, 
I'm going to try to break this down as best as I can and make this as palatable. This is just, you know, the easiest way that I can put this for me to understand. So I hope this makes sense to people. The, the easy peasy way here, the, the science is we have these mother cells inside of our hippocampus region of our brain. And the hippocampus is I have no idea. It's in the brain. I can't remember where I think it's in the front area. Not exactly sure. I don't know. I'm not answering that. I don't want a penalty shot. I don't know. I'm going to get one anyway. So those mother cells make daughter cells and those daughter cells divide and make more cells that can form into neurons or other cells as well. Babies making babies. <laughs> That's right. There, there has also been a debate whether we are born with a finite number of these mother cells, but I didn't find anything that was conclusive about that. So that was another hurdle that I found inside this research. It's a lot to digest, I understand. The levels of these mother cells do drop off with age, but the really interesting thing here, these daughter cells still produce new cells that divide and can become neurons at the same rate, even though there's less mother cells. Okay. So maybe the idea of mother cells isn't even a good concept if the daughter cells can act as mother cells themselves. Yes, but there is a difference between the mother and the daughter cells. I was trying to find a really easy way to put that, and I didn't find it. There are some functions that the daughter cells cannot do that the mother cells can? Yes. Okay. Perfect. I wish I thought of that, but I didn't. Um, but th yeah, that that's basically what it is. So kind of like you said, our brains are like really fascinating and, you know, really awesome pretty much. I know we, we've mentioned that before. But this has really shown me that like our bodies are really complex and, and really good at sustaining uh, basically homeostasis for the most part, uh, whether it be, you know, body temperature, your brain, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's just really fascinating that our brains are able to do that. Well, you say body temperature, but that's regulated by the brain, too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a good point. <laughs> the bad news here, though, is that these new cells, uh, as we get older, are more plastic, though. So these new cells that these daughter cells create, when I say plastic, uh, they're not um, they're not as active as the, as they previously were. So they're not as uh, like tough or um, or dominant and doing as much work uh, as they previously would. So. This is the research that I believe to be pointing us in the direction of being proof that our brains do create new cells as we get older. Um, and the thing, the big thing that we brought up, we've mentioned this before, but the thing that I think confirms it to me is that they did some carbon-14 dating uh, that confirmed cells inside the hippocampus were being replaced with new ones. Now, for whatever reason, and I have yet to figure out why. That's really interesting that they were able to do carbon-14 dating on cells that are within the normal human lifetime. That's really interesting to me, actually. I didn't yeah. know it was that short of a time span. I've always thought of carbon-14 as being... Like trees. over. Well, yeah, over a set amount of years and years and years and years, like generally more than a human lifetime for even using that. But right. I guess I never actually looked at the application for C14 in a much shorter time yeah, frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, the thing I was going to say is I don't understand why, but some researchers don't really believe this to be true, and they say this is just inconclusive evidence that the cells regenerate inside of our brain. But we also know that sometimes researchers and the research that they're doing has an end game, and if it doesn't fit their narrative, they don't want to believe it or they choose to dismiss it. Scientists are just as human as any other human. No, that's a that's a really really good way of putting it. I mean, it's the same way with like you know politicians and stuff like that. Yeah, 
you know, you might know exactly what you should be doing, right? But in terms of other people that you might be letting down that you personally know or your own unique personal situation, you could fudge some results if you might not be the most moral person possible. Yep. And it's a very unfortunate truth about uh, the society we live in. Something I'd love to do one day is just cover a whole bunch of scientists that have been completely shunned by the scientific community because of the way they lied and the effect that it had on the scientific community. <laughs> I have <laughs> vaccinations. Well, not only that guy. That's the big one. That point. That there's a few out. that I have like at the top of my head, but continue. Well, I mean, that's basically it. Like to me that, that carbon, the fact that they were able to do that carbon 14 dating and show that the hippocampus was creating new cells. That to me conclusively shows we are able to regenerate new cells. And the hippocampus is part of the brain. It may not be... So I think it might be a division here where some parts of the brain, some certain specialized brain cells yeah. may not be able to reproduce themselves. And I was going to say that, yeah. I think that's where the there is that divide, pun intended, <laughs> of where people fall inside these two camps. And All right, I'm loading the chambers of the rumor flies gun. We've decided it's a revolver. So... <laughs> Gun to my head. I'm uh, saying don't, you don't have to say it right now. It's fine. Well, but, okay. All right. I'll I'll wait till the end. But I'll let you ruminate on it. I'll, I'll marinate on it. Yeah. So that is my first topic in a nutshell. It was a very eye-opening bit of research. There was a lot of hard words to say. A lot of big words I had to look up. But the amount of debate back and forth on such a simple topic of whether our brains create new cells or not is just like is a really big deal right now. In fact, I saw articles as recent as two years ago saying, no, this isn't true. But then I saw articles from April and May of this year that are also saying, no, that previous research was a little skewed. We actually found this X, Y, and Z to prove that it actually is a thing. So it's it's still very much under study right now. So the nerd fight continues. <laughs> yes, the nerd fight continues. All right. Moving on to the wonderful world of the body and its next topic, and I'm so surprised that we have never made an inner space reference in the time that we have done these episodes. <laughs> this Martin uh, Short. Uh, that's a good one. We're going to be talking about something that we touched on in our forensics episode, maybe a tiny bit, but not in this specific way. Hey, shout out Mad Scientist again. Woo! And this is going to be that fingerprints are unique. Oh. Yeah. Right? You didn't think you'd hear this one. No, I didn't. Turns out I kind of <laughs> have already covered this in just a different way. Okay. When we talked about the weather myths. Snowflakes. It's almost the exact same goddamn really? research. Really? Huh. So uh, go into a little bit of the history of this. Here's where some of the origins come from. Okay. So we have a quote from, let's see, Harper's Headline, which I guess was a newspaper back then in 1911 saying- Well, well wait, you got to read it like it's 1911. Only once in the existence of our solar system will two human beings be born with similar finger markings. They weren't even called prints back then. Uh, yeah, finger markings. That's funny. I just really want to get good at the transatlantic accent. But the deal is I'm doing like the woman's version of it as opposed to the man's. I can't do the man's as well. <laughs> I say, you know, like the Audrey Hepburn. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then in 19, I'm sorry, the first one was in 1910. But in 1911, 1911, oh, a year later. There we go. In Scientific American. Two like fingerprints would only be found once every 1,048 years. 
I don't know who did that goddamn calculation, <laughs> but very, very specific. I was going to say, like, that's a that's a very specific answer. So I want to know. I want to see the math on that. I want to see the long division going on that. The problem is nobody can get the math right. I'm going to give that little <laughs> bit of a, a condensing down of the topic. So fingerprint identification in forensics is what it's mostly used for, obviously. There's many different ways to do it. I guess I can give you a little primer on that. There's several different ways. There's the, my favorite, the Japanese superglue method, where if you have a gun with something with like a rigid texture, I've said this before, on like a gun's handle, where, you know, it might have some ridges for the grip. Right. They can spray it with uh, spray paint. Uh Not spray paint, I'm sorry, superglue. And it actually bonds to some of the proteins from the fingerprint and, and it can, can give an accurate make... print from that. Huh. Uh, there's also, you know, s- several different substances that can glow when exposed to a fingerprint that uses, I think, an antigen-antibody combination. There's the simple fingerprint dusting, which go- which bonds yeah. to the oils left over. But in general, the way of analyzing fingerprints boils down to a couple different things. The main, like, large-scale version of it is you look at, say you look at your thumb, you're going to see things that are classified as ridges, whirls, arches, and loops. And these things can kind of cross over a little bit. Loops? Yeah, loops is like a complete uh, loop around, like a, almost like a circle. Oh, okay, I got you. I, got I might you. be flubbing this a little bit. It's been a while since I've taken a forensic chemistry class. But uh, the ridges are obviously like the, the grooves of your fingerprint, how deep they are, anything, and like yeah. the sweat glands that are in them, what kind of you know holes and secretions they have inside of them. I got you. Uh, the whirls is just kind of like a little bit of a squiggly. Uh, the arches are obviously just the way that you know it can bend, mm-hmm. like the pattern. But then you have something called minutiae, which are the ridge endings, like where these ridges stop. Uh, the deltas, where it kind of like branches off into like a triangle, like a delta. And oh, then okay. bifurcations, which is also a different sort of branching off of either a ridge or a whirl. Uh, Dumb penalty shot me for that. That's just the easiest way I can explain it. But they look at these differences in the patterns in your fingerprint. Okay. And especially with the imaging now, they take these certain points that may be unique to you and then compare them to a whole database. And that's how they in- and eventually find out how accurate a fingerprint uh, you know, analyst analysis is. Yeah. Because you can look at those specific things, these ridges, whirls, bifurcations, anything like that. And compare it to another fingerprint and just say there's a 95% chance or anything like that. You know, they, they use this very frequently. Aside from DNA testing, people very much trust fingerprint analysis. So you're, what you're telling me then is that we all have unique ridges, whirls, arches, and loops to us that make us unique? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. I haven't gotten quite deep into that yet. Okay. But the problem with this is that when you think about fingerprint analysis... Say you put your thumb on a table right in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty generally flat print that you'll have right there. Right. Now, if you put your finger on something like a pole or like a something uh, that's not the diameter of your thumb. Right. You know, it's rounded. It's going to look rounded. Right. So it's the way they also take the fingerprints that can really obfuscate the actual analysis a little bit. So that so depending on how you take it, that could skew the result. Yeah, a little bit. And that's where kind of this myth came from is because for a while... Fingerprint analysis was the end-all, be-all of forensic uh, analysis. It was just what they used to identify people, especially before DNA testing was in the mainstream version of, uh, you know, 
forensics. Well, that's kind of like polygraphs. That used to be the end all be all as well until they realized that those are fallible. Yeah, the more I look into forensics, the scarier it gets about how innocent or guilty somebody might actually not be. Yeah. But it turns out there's been lots of recent articles that have put this hotly into debate about our fingerprints being wholly unique. Okay. And the deal is there's even been a recent 2009 National Academy of Sciences article that issued a report on the accuracy of fingerprint identification, which is once thought to be zero error. Right. Because everybody was assumed to have exact fingerprint identifications. Right. However, there have been misidentifications and have matched people with a fingerprint that wasn't actually theirs, but they thought it was. Now, what this actually boils down to is just the way we talked about snowflakes previously, is that on the surface, things might look a little bit the same. Okay. And as technology gets better, we can zoom deeper and deeper into there and find more <laughs> differences. Enhance. Yes, enhance. Enhance, enhance, enhance. 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 <laughs> and it turns out that the better our technology gets, that... The more accurate we are. Yeah, the more accurate we are, but also the worse previous methods of identification <laughs> have gotten. So it's kind of like explaining how many squares you can fit in a one inch by one inch section of one square. It depends on how well you can draw and how small you can draw. It can be infinite as you zoom in. There is no like sure answer to that. You have to have some limitations, but as technology gets better, these limitations are disappearing. Yeah, they get more and more negligible. So it it's really one of those things where you would kind of say that it depends on what level you're looking at the fingerprints. Yeah. If you're going by the macro sizes of the whirls and swirls and such and such and such, it could be you could get two fingerprints that might be the same. And really those calculations that we were talking about with the 1,048 years from Scientific American might not even be true because there has been little recent effort to calculate the statistical probability of two fingerprints matching. And previous probabilities have been put into question due to new understandings and the technology that has brought under more understanding. It's just, it's this constant thing where the probability gets more and more likely that yes, obviously everything, all, every fingerprint's unique, but at the level that we are analyzing them might be a little bit hazy. So I can't give a straight answer on this. All ah. I can say is that fingerprint analysis is not exactly the zero error science that a lot of people once thought it was. Gun to my head, I would say... You don't have to answer right now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, turn that on me. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Go ahead, Mr. Fancy Pants. All right. Let's dive into the next topic. And uh, I hope I don't catch any flack for this. But we decided to... Or actually, I decided to dive into uh, the myth that skinny people have faster metabolisms and heavy people have slower metabolisms. I don't think that this is intrinsically a problematic topic because I think a lot of people assume this. Yeah, this is something I've heard, man, as far as I can remember. Like, I remember hearing, uh, you know, heavier people, their metabolisms are slower, they can't digest food or break it down as quick and this, that, and the other. So, I mean, this is something, I mean, I'm uh, I'm getting older, but I remember this for as long as I can remember. See, I'm going to start off with just this. I would say that another argument for this is efficient versus inefficient metabolisms. Hmm. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm glad you said that because this, this gets fun. <laughs> the, now. The, <laughs> the dread you didn't have in your voice about talking about it. 
there's I, you'll see what I'm saying in a second, but this is a very delicate subject to cover. Uh, we here at Rumor Flies do not discriminate against anyone, the shape, size, color, religion, beliefs, blah, 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 except Scientology. All three of us are all shapes and sizes all at once. Well, we, we do discriminate against Scientology. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stand on that. I'm editing this out. We're going to get sued. <laughs> um, like I've said before, though, there are two types of people who there are two types of people in this world who we don't like people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and, and the Dutch and the Dutch. That's exactly right. Now, the problem with this statement is what constitutes as fat. Is it an excess uh, of fat percentage inside your body? Is it according to the BMI chart, the body mass index chart? There's a million different things at play here, so I'm going to approach this the best way that I can. Medically obese? Sort of, but we'll, we'll just, just, just pump the brakes there real quick. All right. All right. Uh, diving in, we first need to establish what a metabolism is. So, what is a metabolism? Thanks for asking, Greg. It is The most basic definition is that it is converting food or fuel into energy inside your body for different cell processes, basically. I mean... I don't think that anybody's going to debate that. Okay. So based off this logic. It's breaking down all sorts of different things that you put into your body. Metabolites. That's what mainly drug testing is. It's looking for the metabolites of that actual drug. Right. So So that's the the non-food version of it. Well, but when you take that at face value, okay, just going off this logic, a person with a slow metabolism is then not getting all the energy from the food that they eat. So they would actually lose weight. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It took me a minute to wrap my head around that, but I'm like, by George, I think they've got it. So right off the bat, this isn't true. Okay. And what people in reality mean when they say that heavy people have a slower metabolic rate, not a slower metabolism. So there's two differences. Yes. Your metabolic rate is the energy a person spends over the course of a day to keep the body functioning. Okay. All right. I like this. I'm learning. Yes. Because I never thought about it. But once I read it, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's different. That's that's totally different. This makes sense. So there's something uh, that's called the BMR, which is the basal metabolic rate. I believe basal, B-A-S-A-L, basal. I don't know how you say it. Basal? I'm, but that's what I thought. Oh, 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 A-L. Yeah. Basal. 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 Basal metabolic rate, which is the bare minimum amount of energy required to exist. <laughs> Without this, we would literally die. We, we just wouldn't be there. You eventually become dirt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good point. Now, this does not include your daily activities of expending energy or even breaking down food. Your BMR is the largest portion of your daily energy expenditure. That is just your basic body functions, everything running, okay? An accurate BMR is measured by oxygen taking in and carbon dioxide going out. So it's it's a very simple, most basic form. I love that. I, I do too. I really, really like that. So this is why no matter what weight loss diet you are on, despite what pills you take, no matter what you eat, at the end of the day, the premise is the exact same for losing weight. Energy in needs to be greater than energy. I'm sorry. Energy out needs to be greater than energy going in. So I've been taking those pills where you put them in a bathtub and they dissolve away and little sponges come out like they're in shape of dinosaurs. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, that's totally fine. All right. That's totally fine. As long as I expend more energy than it they contain. Yeah. Well, this is also known as calories in versus calories out. Okay. It's not the exact same thing, but I mean... 
when it comes to dieting and losing weight, it's the same thing. Calories in versus calories out, energy in versus energy out. But back to the question at hand here. It's the whole uh, budgeting thing. Instead of money, it's calories. Well, like we mentioned before, there is that guy who uh, his diet consisted of like Doritos, Twinkies, and Mountain Dew, I think. And as long as he stayed under a certain calorie intake, he was fine and he still lost weight. It doesn't matter what you put in. But I mean, it does trace elements and minerals and certain nutrients. Yes. But there is ways to eat what is considered to be unhealthy. But if you really put the work in, you're going to be okay. Right. Exactly. So uh, does a person who is skinny with my air quotes have a fast metabolism or the inverse being true? And the answer is a resounding no. A person with more fat content or a higher weight will actually have a higher BMR than somebody who is smaller or skinnier. And that's pretty, uh, I'd like to think that's pretty straightforward. You think about somebody who doesn't have as much weight on them going upstairs, has an easier time going up and down than somebody who does have more weight. Yeah, essentially you're lifting weights as you're going by. I mean, a completely traditionally skinny person doesn't have as much baggage to carry around with them. And that's also why obese people lose so much weight so fast when they start exercising again, but then it kind of plateaus at some point. Uh, It evens out. Yep. I'm getting to that, Ryan. Sorry. Shit on my topic. (laughs) As someone gains more weight from storing more fat, the body needs to support that excess mass to carry it around. That's why their BMR is so important. They've got good bones. What requires more oxygen in and carbon dioxide out. Um, Think about it this way, kind of like Ryan just wonderfully shit on. If you're walking up a hill every day with a 50 pound weight on your back, the first few times you do it will be difficult. But the more you do it, though, the easier it becomes. And that's just like with your BMR. Your body adapts to the weight over time and increases your BMR. That is the the bare bones of it. So, yeah. If you're going to go off of a, uh, in the most literal sense about a faster metabolism versus a slower metabolism, that's, that's unequivocally false because what they mean is your metabolic rate. But if you're going with your metabolic rate, that's still false because if you have more weight on you, your BMR is higher. So it's almost like you're saying that skinnier people have an, inef- like, as I say with inefficient versus inefficient metabolism, it's not even that. It's skinny people have an inefficient metabolism because they're kind of passing through most of the stuff that they eat and they're not able to actually provide the energy that would be coming with that food traditionally. Whereas more obese people, it's not their metabolism that's the problem, it's their initial BMR or just generally they're not able to have their BMR keep up with their intake. Yes, until their body eventually, like you said, will plateau and catch up to it. Yes. That's exactly right. You got it, Ryan. Yay. Where's my gold star? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's in a, the bottom of a tequila shot downstairs. I don't want to swallow that. <laughs> that's it. Say that's it. That's it. That's okay, it. fine. You're going to say it like that. Fine. We'll move on to the next topic. That's it. I'll have to wait. Okay. All right. Now we got a little bit of a palate cleanser where we get to be as immature as possible for Yay. this. It's body myths, so we get to talk about all parts of the body. Dicks, 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 dicks. Tits, 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 tits. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be talking about the sex organs and the vag, too. We've got about that, too. Yeah, we, got, yeah. we, got, we got a little bit of everything in there. So, as I said, I had a topic that I had thoroughly researched and then forgot that I did it about two years ago. So, we you know, called it an audible. And now we're going to talk about the sexual organs and just have a little bit of a 
uh, dissection of some of these certain facts about everyone you can imagine. Aside, we didn't cover any butt myths, but maybe that'll be for a Patreon. Just well, butt myths. Well, the last one that I was going to cover, I decided that it would be better suited for a Patreon episode as well. Okay, so, so you hear it, you know. It ain't you know. that expensive per month, you know. <laughs> just rumorflies.com, uh, patreon.com slash rumorflies, you know, who knows? I was going to say just do it, but people are getting in trouble for that now. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, Ryan, you, you start so, us off. So, start off with dicks? Yeah, All right. First, we're going to talk about penis size correlates with shoe size. Also, like I brought up, penis size correlates with hand size. Doesn't matter. Same thing. Yeah. Kind of. So, it turns out that there isn't much research for the hand correlation, but we're definitely going to talk about the foot correlation. And let's just say right now, it's not true. This is going to be our lightning round. This is going to be some quick facts and everything. But essentially, the <laughs> there has been a study done on this in the UK, and the it turns out that the average size of a penis when stretched in the UK is about five inches, and the average foot size is about a shoe size of nine. But okay. there was no correlation between the penis size and the foot size. There could be some people with like you know clown shoes size feet. And just might not be packing too much. And then there might be some people packing that are literally just walking on stilts, <laughs> like human stilts. <laughs> also, for all of these things, I'm kind of really wondering about how they did this test. Was it just afterwards? I was like, I was going to ask at that. a doctor's visit. <laughs> it's just like, all right, you're all clean. You, you know, you're good. You have a clean bill of health and everything. Would you like to take an optional survey for after this? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. All right. Uh, start stretching your dick I, uh, or let me stretch your dick real quick. I just imagine like the doctor turning around. Unzip, just, unzip. I just imagine like asking like, would you like to participate in a voluntary survey? Yeah, yeah, sure, doc, no problem. So he turns around and gets the tape measure out. It's like, all right, drop your pants. <laughs> or just, just like, all right, turn to the left and cough a little. <laughs> all right, now we're going to go bop it mode. I'm going to pull it. <laughs> just kidding. Pop it, twist it, spin it. <laughs> um, moving on after we've cleared that one up, this is just an interesting little fact. Apparently there is no right way for a man to get an erection. They can, it can, is there a wrong way? There's no wrong way either. <laughs> you got me there. You got me. It turns out that it, you, the, the, the penis or the fact it turns out the penis, <laughs> Man, it's going to be hard to not laugh for a lot of this stuff. Zing, it is going to be hard. It turns out that the penis, when erect, does not have any right direction to go. It can go left, right, up, down, north, south, southeast, southwest. Konami code? (laughs) Yes. Up, down, up, down, left, left, right, left, left, right, right, down, up, B, A, start? I don't know. I may have messed that one up. No, I think that's right. It's left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down, B, A, start. We're not getting a penalty shot for that, okay? It's been a while. So, but... It turns out that it you there is no general direction. So any way that you may swing might be it's okay. It's fine for the men out there right now. Okay. That's <laughs> uh that's something I have heard before. So like I've heard somebody bring that up like, oh, it kind of hangs to the right to so the doctor. Ever I did find statistics on the angle of erection. Oh. Which is quite interesting to me. Let's assume that you generally go in an up down direction. Let's just go from planar, which is uh, which I guess it's going to be from zero to 90. Cause yeah. It'd be kind of weird if it just went straight back into you. afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, here are the statistics for men in their erection direction. <laughs> um, 
So it turns out the degrees are from zero to 30, which is pointing straight out to pointing maybe a little bit up. Yeah. Uh, it's 4.9% of men. 30 to 60 degrees, which is a little bit up to about halfway to pointing completely up. Yeah. Is 29.6% of men. So that's so, a pretty good. So the majority are 60 to 90? The majority is actually 60 to 85 degrees, which is 30.9. Huh. Which 85 degrees, if you think about that, that's it's almost, almost like you're going to touch your belly button. Yeah. Uh, then we have 85. To, there's no way. What does this mean? I'm trying to figure this out right now. Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out the the math here. I must be getting this wrong because they have 85 to 95 is 9.9% of men. And here's what we get from 95 to 120 degrees. On the plane, oh, I think I got it. By what Georgia, they mean by it. is starting from pointing completely down. Yeah, I was going to say. To so pointing like, completely up. So like negative 270 to 90. No, so assume that the plane of... Zero to 180 degrees is just with your body. So oh, zero degrees is pointing completely down, which I don't think I've seen that, which is why it's 4.9%. Well, I was men. thinking like of a graph. That's why I'm saying negative 270 to 90. Like Yeah, so 60 to 85 is 30.9% of men. So okay. that's just about going completely forward. Yes. You know, 85 90, uh, to 95 degrees is 9.9. 95 to 120, which is when it starts pointing up, is 19.8. And then 120 to 180, which means that some people have it pointing completely up, which must make some... That leaves only missionary, really, um, is just 4.9% uh, of men, once again. So it's a straight bell curve, like we were talking was, about, <laughs> if you look at the distribution. A straight bell curve. So I don't even know why I put this in here, but I think I'm going to leave it in because I learned what the plane was <laughs> as I was explaining this. Um, lastly, before we move on to other myths, we're going to do grower versus shower. Oh, that's a good one. There is no correlation to it. And this is done by the study of 270 more men, uh, 274 men in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, which just sounds like a Barry White song. You know, sexual healing. So continuing, it turns out that they found out uh, among these 274 men, there were several that were well endowed when completely unaroused but then when they got aroused it didn't make much of a length difference so that's a shower yeah i guess that'd be considered a shower the, yeah. but the, the, the distinction between these is there's growers versus showers where there are people where they just automatically are big and get bigger or there are people that get big after growing right but there was all four mixes essentially where it's just like a tiny member gets to you know hulking after the arousal. And then there's also people that just were tiny and stayed tiny. And then there were people that I don't think there was a group that got smaller. from <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't <laughs> where it shrunk up. I don't think that's possible, but there were also people that just really didn't show much of a difference yeah. after the arousal. So it turns out the grower versus shower isn't a very good metric. Yeah. So it's anybody's game really. It is or men, you know, whatever you're into. Yeah. Uh, lastly, uh, Josh, we'll go ahead and switch over to you real quick before I get to my... We'll get to the vaginas before we get to the boobs. Okay. Uh, so just real quick, uh, I got four really uh, well-known vaginal myths. For the ladies. Uh, the, what? For the ladies. For the ladies. Uh, <laughs> We're equal opportunity here. We are. So one is the virgin vagina is extremely tight. Two is... Man, this sounds... Really, really not okay, but it's body myth. It's fine. The loss of virginity permanently loosens it. 
the frequent sex loosens it further and childbirth loosens the vagina even more and possibly forever. So vaginal tightness. The, the basic way that this is explained to me, uh, as far as I understand it, because I don't have the proper parts, but it's like an accordion. And (laughs) did you read that from an article? Yes. Okay. They literally said. I was hoping you came up with your own metaphor. No, they also said that uh, they have a hand towel stuffed inside of a thick sock metaphor, but I'm going to stay away from that. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as far as like vaginal tightness, like if you pull the corners of your mouth outward and let them go and you say, baby, you want to mix some hand towels and thick socks? (laughs) I'm going to try that tonight. Um, (laughs) They say pull the corners of your mouth towards your ears and let go. All right. Okay. So what happens when you let go? It goes back, right? Yeah. Your mouth immediately snaps back into its into its normal state. You do it 100 times. There's no permanent stretching. That's pretty much the same as far as it goes with the vagina. There are two exceptions. One determ- depends on your age. Um, and the other d- depends on how many childbirths that you have. I don't think it's a stretch to say that... <laughs> the more- the more children, <laughs> the more children you have, the more it stretches. Like, I think that that's pretty much uh, straightforward. Okay. Now, as far as age goes, the older you get, the less um, tight that it will become after childbirth and stuff like that. So that's just like the rest of the entire body, though. Yes. That's what wrinkling is, and we're getting. Uh, yeah, it's across the board. So that's that's why I wanted to bring it up. People are candles. Yeah, <laughs> um, just as, get more melty as they get older. Now, the thing I read, I'm not going to really get into uh, the virgin aspect of it, but basically it is make sure that the woman is ready to go. Uh, make sure that the, the engines, you know, they take a little while to get rubbed up. So make sure that, you know, you're you're getting there. You're not just jumping right into it. So be courteous as I'm going to go at that. Love tips with Josh. Uh, vaginal looseless, looseness, excuse me. Um that's kind of like, you know, the accordion aspect to it is that it does retighten once the accordion is all the way all the way stretched out. It takes a little while, but it'll it'll get there. And again, it also depends on your age and how old you are and how many children that you have. That is the the two big factors is how many children you have in the in the age of the woman. So I love how fast you're bro- you're breezing through this right now well, because you're just like I just want to be done with this topic. It's fine. I I know I'm walking on eggshells, so I'm just trying to you know get it done as uh as quick as possible. And um, but th- there is a good point that today. A lot of women are delaying childbirth until after 30 and some even after 40. So that is a problem with women who won't be as tight after giving birth. So that is the big factor. But women in their late teens, early 20s, they'll typically go back to normal. Um, I believe that is all four of mine that uh, I covered. Yeah. So um, virgin vagina, extremely tight. We talked about that. Make sure the engine is lubed up and good to go. The virginity permanently loosens it. That's not true. Frequent sex loosens it further. Also not true, but age does play a factor into it. And childbirth loosens the vagina. That's definitely uh, depends on how many children you have and your age as well. Okay, moving on to the mammaries before we cover Josh's last topic. So we're going to go over some boob myths. And these are a little bit informal. So we're going to go with the idea that bigger breasts actually cause a higher risk of breast cancer. And to me, this makes a little bit of sense because the bigger the boobs are, the more tissue you have in your boobs to actually or to actually, you know, form a cancerous tumor. Mm -hmm. However, this is inclusive. That's about as much as I can give you from that one because nobody's given a straight answer from it. (laughs) They've had several studies that have seen the 
the confirmation of it and then the exact inverse. You know? Oh, okay. So it goes both ways. Yeah. It, I mean, okay. it's definitely genetics have a, a factor into it, but isn't necessarily corresponding to boob size because it's also the mammary glands that you're worrying about with right. different breast cancers. Right. And sometimes it can either be just from like the actual memories or the, just the fat tissue around the breast. Hmm. So I, I, I don't have much license or know how to get completely into it, but don't worry if you have bigger or smaller boobs. You probably have, to our knowledge, just as much of a risk as anybody else. Yeah, and men get it too, so that's a little thing that kind of gets overlooked is that men can also get breast cancer. Yes, yes. Women cannot get prostate cancer because no. they don't have prostates, but we do have breasts. Um, I do want to also say that fuck Susan G. Coleman. You can edit that out or you don't. I don't care. I don't like Susan G. Coleman. I think we have spoken our word about them before. Yeah, anyway. Uh, it's because of their kind of dodgy lawsuits and everything that they do it's not because of what they're going for it's no just they're making a lot more profit than they should be and they're also pocket a lot of it not it's not also uh what you call it it's also not um what they're doing it's just how they're doing it and what they're giving back because they could be giving back a lot more i'll just leave it at that so let's kind of circle back here right uh, but i got one more well, oh myth. i'm sorry i'm yeah, sorry yeah we got one more boob myth so it's uh that breastfeeding causes sagging Oh, I can talk about this, but go ahead. Go ahead if you'd like to. No, no, no. I, I want to hear the research and I want to give my own personal story. Uh, I'm going to give the boil down since we are actually getting kind of over time right now. That's why another uh, reason I was going fast. Uh, it turns out that, no, this is not true mm-hmm. because it already starts sagging during the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, I learned that as well. Sorry, it doesn't, yeah, breastfeeding, breastfeed all you want to. It's not going to sag your boobs more because... They're already sagging after the pregnancy. So the interesting thing that I learned recently is that breastfeeding. Josh is a father now. Okay. I'm going to say it (laughs) since he's just been completely candid about it. Um, Congratulations. Thank you, Ryan. To little Jack. Thank you. Uh, One thing I did learn about breastfeeding is that it is a form of contraception. Really? Yes. Women who breastfeed are less likely to get pregnant sooner. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I learned that in one of my birthing classes. I don't have the exact numbers, but um, there's what, a whole bunch of What grade did you facts. get in that class? Um, How well did you birth? <laughs> I did really well. So circling back, let's go through these. Uh, Ryan, keeping a concussion victim awake. Rumor flies gun to your head? Uh, no, don't do that. Let him oh. sleep. Okay. The body cannot make new brain cells. Uh, Josh here, me, Daddy Josh, Pappy Josh. Uh, I'm going to say that only that, referred to him as Pappy Josh on Twitter from now on. Okay? <laughs> hashtag Pappy Josh. Hashtag not my hot dog. <laughs> uh, hashtag I, where's my son? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, and this is just me, that this is absolutely false. Uh, the research that I read says that we can. I know there is conflicting reports, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Fingerprints are unique, Ryan. As technology increases, we find out that, yes, fingerprints are unique, judging by the better analysis, but previously they may have not been. People could have been convicted for the wrong fingerprint matches. I would put that in the true category. Sure. Let's do that. I I just think that's easier. Let's fill the bucket up. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, And the last one that I'm going to cover, skinny people have fast metabolisms and heavy people have slow metabolisms. That's false because it's metabolic rate, not metabolism. It's not even phrased right. Yes, it's not even phrased right. But if you want to go into slower or faster metabolic rate, uh, larger people have a higher uh, metabolic rate. So uh, BMRs, excuse me. So uh, that is false there as well, no matter how you want to look at it. 
And then all the dick and boob jokes that we did, we're just going to go ahead and leave those be. <laughs> but uh, Josh, let the people know. Let the people know. I will let the people know. Uh, we are at Rumorflies on all the social media. You know how to contact us there. We are rumorfliespodcast.com, uh, patreon.com slash rumorflies. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is we are part of Dark Myths. I'm trying to be better about that. And Ryan, you were just recently on a podcast. Tell the people which one. Yes, I was recently on Zeng This Podcast, which is Justin and Ellie. I'm not sure if the episode's out at this point, but we talked about something near and dear to our hearts, that being me and Carlene, my fiance, which is her first podcast debut. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. She did great. Oh, such a good fiance. But look out for that. So anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you can check us out in two weeks from now. We're yeah. going to have another episode. And uh, anything else, Josh? Uh, for this episode and every episode of Rumor Flies, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. And Greg's not here. Bye. Meh.